Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 22 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, and the first where your host is battling a cold, so my apologies ahead of time. This week we're talking with bald Brian Bishop, the right-hand man to Adam Carolla, on the Comedian's Record-Smashing podcast. But before our chat, I wanted to get a little personal. You know, my first published film review wasn't in the 90s or 2000s, actually in 1977. It came when a local paper published my review of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, I did the artwork for the review, so I'm kind of proud of that as well, but they got my name wrong. <laughs> they misspelled it, but such is life. But I really enjoyed it. It was kind of a thrill. And of course, it took about 20 or so years for me to actually repeat that process. But I did get involved with movie reviewing later in life. And when I first did at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review initially, and then the Washington Times, I really didn't enter the business to be a conservative film critic. I just wanted to be a film critic. I love movies. I wanted to share my point of view wanted to kind of sound off when I was uh, angry about a movie and kind of celebrate when I was joyous about a movie. And that was more or less it. I really wasn't a political guy. And frankly, the business wasn't as political as it is right now. I think part of that changed after 9-11. I know I changed after 9-11. I saw how both the left and the right reacted to that horrible event. And it changed me. I mean, it made me much more political, much more active, much more motivated, and much more aware of what was going on within the industry. And I think not just that, but also the effect that George Bush's presidency had on both Hollywood and on the media itself. I think that kind of kickstarted an evolution in what we see in entertainment and also we see in the folks who cover entertainment. Things changed. And I think slowly I started to change too. You know, I'm not the first person to change after 9-11. I know Evan, Se- Evan Sayed, the comedian, and also Dennis Miller, said that it changed them remarkably as well. And I think their evolution kind of charts with mine a bit, so they became much more political, as did I. But I think when you look at way Hollywood reacted to the Bush presidency, all the anti-Iraq war films, for example, kind of speaking out against the presidency, it just became a much more active, much more volatile, a much more vocal community, frankly. And I think a lot of the content reflected that. And I think that really didn't go away even when Obama took office. I think the industry just kind of charted to the left, got more political, got more open, and movies became soapboxes in very examples. And frankly, I think a lot of the critics changed along with it. I think when you look at the reviews, even Roger Ebert, kind of the dean of modern film criticism, he got very political in a lot of his reviews, and they were frankly very biased. And I think as good as he was, and as much as he changed the industry for the better, I also thought he did his readers a disservice when he got very political, very liberal, and didn't give a fair and balanced point of view when it came to the movies he was reviewing. So over the years... I went from a guy who just reviewed films to a guy who was much more aware of what was going on in the industry and also much more aware that, frankly, half the audience isn't being served by the critics who are putting out their reviews. Most critics are left of center. The reviews reflect that. And there was kind of a missing a, a voice that was needed to kind of review films from right of center perspective. So that's where my evolution took place. And frankly, today, I'm not alone. You've got John Nolte. You've got Kyle Smith, Sonny Bunch, just a few of the folks, and frankly, I've talked to a bunch of them for this particular podcast, so you can go back to some older episodes and check out what they had to say about the work they do and their criticism as well. But just want to, it's kind of interesting just to think about how things have changed 
in the short time that I've been reviewing films and how the, frankly, pop culture has as well. So, you know, I could sort of play things neutral and, and kind of review films straight and narrow and acknowledge things from a perspective that, frankly, a lot of critics should do but often don't. So, But the bottom line is that today's liberal film critics use their ideology like a cudgel. And I, I have to say, I want to fight back. It's what I do here. It's what I do at HollywoodandToto.com. And I'm going to keep on keeping on because, frankly, I don't think anything's going to change. I think it's going to get more intense. And hopefully folks like me and Sonny Bunch and Kyle Smith and John Nolte We'll keep fighting the good fight and make things a little bit more fair, make a more balanced playing field. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week's hit tip of the week is the latest documentary from an unexpected source. We're about to talk to Brian Bishop about his work, his podcast, and of course his boss, Adam Carolla. So I want to give a little shout out to Carolla himself. You know, kind of an unexpected uh, maneuver from him was getting involved with documentary filmmaking. I mean, he's a podcaster, he's a comedian, he's done a lot of TV, so we expect all of that, but documentary filmmaker? Seems like a weird transition, but he's actually done it quite well. His first film was Winning the Racing Life of Paul Newman, a really clever look at the actor from a different point of view, something we haven't seen quite as much as his acting legacy. But his second film was The 24-Hour War, and that was just added to the Amazon Prime service. Frankly, I think it's even better than the winning documentary, and it's not just for gearheads either. The film captures the long-running battle between Ford and Ferrari for motorsports supremacy. It's got some really great anecdotes. He seems to really get all the right people to tell this story the best way possible. And it's a really intriguing narrative, too. i got to say, I'm not a car guy at all, and I was intrigued by it. So I think if I am, I think you will be, too. And especially if you enjoy cars, especially racing, my goodness, this is going to be catnip for you. So it's called a 24-hour war. You can watch it a bunch of different ways, but probably the best way right now is Amazon Prime. Now let's get to our weekly conversation. It's with Brian Bishop. You probably know him better as Bald Brian. He's the man behind the Adam Carolla Show's sound effects, but that's not all he does for the show. He's an integral part of the presentation, the offering his quick wit, and of course his movie reviews courtesy of Baldywood. He's also the author of Shrinkage, a remarkably candid account of his battle with a brain tumor. He's a pretty remarkable guy, I have to say, and I was really pleased to talk to him, and it sounds like his health is kind of on the upswing, so I hope he can stay healthy. He's got a young child now, and uh, he's a great presence, a great addition to the Adam Carolla Show. Here's my chat with Brian Bishop. Well, first of all, I, you know, I know you started out as, as, a, as a call screener, and uh, I was kind of curious, at that particular time, were you looking to eventually get into uh, being a talk show host, a producer? What, what kind of radio ambitions did you have at the time? I don't think I had any specific ambitions at the time. I just I, – I knew that I wanted to be um, in that industry, in that sort of entertainment industry, um, and – Call screener at K Rock, and then later Loveline seemed like I knew that you know I knew that you had to start at the bottom, and then I had to take a pretty lousy job, um, whether it was a PA on a movie set or an office assistant or an agent's assistant or some sort of assistant job. And I just thought, man, you know, I looked at my friends who were doing that, and I, I it didn't it didn't seem very fun, uh, and I don't think it's supposed to be fun. I understand that, but I was like, man, I don't really want to do that. I'm sure there's better other avenues, non-traditional yeah. avenues to sort of getting to those interesting places. You got to do some other stuff first. And I thought this seemed like the most interesting slash fun slash uh, unusual uh, 
way to if you're gonna if you, if you gotta spend some time at that first rung, um, make it an interesting rung or make it some interesting time. So um, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I liked music. I liked K Rock. Um, I liked the Love Line, obviously, and, and being around all that was uh, very cool. Gotcha. Do you find that the industry back then has it changed dramatically since then, or is it sort of the basics are pretty much in place as far as rising up the ladder and the kind of broadcasting and the kind of content that's out there? I, I couldn't tell you definitively, but from my, my point of view, I think it's actually opened up quite a bit. Um, keep in mind, when I started over there, it was 2000. It was, it was pre-9-11. I remember I was there on 9-11. I was working, um, answering phone calls. And so I remember around the time that it was, and so there was no YouTube, of course. There was, you know, the Internet was still kind of in its infancy. Um, and so the fact that there are so many avenues for people to get their content out there, you know, podcasts, obviously, we're not a thing. Um, there's so many avenues now for people to get their content out there, to get their feet wet uh, by doing. You know, back then you had to do even a slightly more traditional route, which was if you wanted to be in radio, for example, or broadcasting or whatever, work at the station, stay late, uh, volunteer, you know, work on a demo maybe, work on some audio, you know, get, get a feel for the industry and for how things worked. Uh, maybe if you're lucky, get on the mic once in a while and then sort of, you know, make your way. And then if you're serious about being a DJ, you know, go, go to a small market. Market somewhere, work there for a few years, send your tapes all around, go to a slightly bigger market, work there for a few years, get to a slightly bigger market. And that's a very traditional route now, looking back on it. And people still do that. Um, but, you know, with uh, the internet being what it is and YouTube and, and, and iTunes and podcasting, there's just so many more avenues and routes for getting your stuff your stuff not just getting your stuff out there but also getting reps you know getting behind a getting behind a microphone back then was hard like just you know finding the studio time like if i wanted to i never actually got any studio time at k-rock you know to to hone my craft as it were I, I i had to wait until i was the call screener at loveline and then once the show ended at midnight and everyone cleared out me and one of the other guys there anderson the engineer uh hopped in the studio and did a pretend radio show uh over and over again and i like to think that we got a little better for when we started but that was our that was our version of you know of, of single a baseball Gotcha. Uh, but I, I by the way, to, to, to jump in and finish, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but to finish the thought, I don't necessarily know if, it, I think ultimately it's a good thing. There's so many outlets now, but it's a double-edged sword, I guess is what I'm getting at, because th at least back in the day, there were a lot of barriers to entry and you had to be really, really good. Um, nowadays, there are less barriers to entry, which means everyone's in the pool, you know, good and bad and everywhere in between. So someone who, I don't know if this is good or bad, or if this makes me, you know, old man, Brian complaining. I'm not really complaining. I'm just sort of observing that I think people with less meh, talent or ability or reps or prep or whatever you want to call it, less, you know, uh, chops, uh, can maybe get a little farther just based on force of will or force of personality or, or, or you know, promoting the self-promotion, promoting themselves, getting out there, getting plugged in, who they know, mm -hmm. uh, friends. Uh, and maybe I don't necessarily know that's worse. I just think it's different. So yeah. um, maybe the quality is a very different um, – it's, a, it's a, of a varying quality. Gotcha. Uh, I know that you uh, kind of first connected with Adam Carolla when you were a call screener. Did you guys kind of click right away professionally? Did you get the sense that you were kind of simpatico or did it take a while to, to kind of work together and kind of you both at some point realize that, hey, this is sort of a, a good relationship and we can kind of keep on keeping on? 
think it took a while. You know, uh, Adam uh, at the time uh, was was a pretty big celebrity, and I have to imagine that everyone. I have to imagine that a lot of people who come into a celebrity's life, the celebrity has to keep a bit of an arm's distance, at least at first. Uh, you know, there's a getting to know you period, and like, what's this person's? You know, does this person have you know nefarious motives or whatever? And of course, I was. A fairly innocent 22-year-old or whatever I was, I just wanted to work hard and you know be around interesting people and, and an interesting job. So I don't know. You'd have to ask him that. I can say that you know, I was a fan when I met him, so it wasn't you know, hard for me. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I kind of kept my nose down um, in terms of work. You know, we're, we're did my best at screening calls and uh, offered to do other things when I had the opportunity. And you know, it wasn't until it wasn't until a few years later that opportunities arose. Where hey, do you want to come do this project? Do you want to come try this? Uh, okay. So it, it was uh, it, the, the seed was planted. I think early in terms of my work ethic, but it took a while for you know. Uh, I'm not complaining. It just is what it is. Uh, it took a while for that plant to sort of grow. There were very few people who were kind of nationally known for doing what you do with the sound effects. I mean, I guess Fred Norris from the Howard Stern Show also comes to mind. Uh-huh. Is there anything in your background that kind of prepared you for the, for that kind of a gig? I mean, I, I mean, obviously you know pop culture, you've got a good sense of timing, good sense of humor, but did, did anything kind of help you kind of get ready for that gig, or was it kind of thing where I'm just going to make it up as I go along and trust my instincts? No. Uh, there was absolutely uh, a huge influence on me. Well, number one, Fred Norris has been doing it longer than anyone I know and has been doing it great for a long time and was a huge influence on me. I was a big Howard Stern fan back in the day. Um, I listened to him every morning, you know, in high school. Uh, but the the biggest influence on me was the engineer for Loveline, whose name is Anderson, who was just otherworldly the drops i mean he he is uh he was my direct influence um i liked him as much as i liked adam when i was a listener of the show you know starting in high school and on through college and things uh, you know the, through that whole time um anderson was anderson did what i did and and did a uh excuse me anderson did what i would end up doing uh you know for future projects for adam but he did he was so so great at it and it was it's funny you know you hear about the ten thousand hour rule you know to spend so much time uh you know doing something before you really get good at it i was very fortunate because i had spent so much time listening to and working with anderson and watching him and learning um that i was i was able to hit the ground running sort of as it were at least in terms of the at least in terms of the technical at least in terms of knowing what to do there wasn't really much of a learning curve i kind of knew knew what to do and then hopefully my you know sense of humor or or whatever you want to call it uh took over um but anderson from loveline was my, my biggest influence uh, one of the things that's great about the adam carolla show now is that you had really big guests in the show eclectic guests really legends in the industry i'm kind of curious as someone who's working with them and asking them questions and kind of being there are there have there been any stars recently or even in the past where they really were very different than you expected they're, they're sort of the their uh. persona was much different than actually the real person who's in the studio sticks out to me the most well uh i don't know how well you know the show i assume you know the show pretty well um larry miller who's a a frequent guest uh is just the sweetest guy and i'd only known him from his movie roles you know uh pretty woman and uh the nutty professor and and all those types of roles where larry plays a very smarmy jerk and he does it so well but he's the sweetest sweetest guy off off the air um, or even on the air, you know, he's not acting. He's a sweet, sweet fellow, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that really took me by surprise. And I'm glad to say that I can call him friend now because he's a really nice guy. Um, in addition to that, 
the one that always sticks out to me, I remember, was uh, we, we did a live show with Gilbert Gottfried, and Gilbert was there before the show in the green room, and I showed up, and I'd never met him before, and we all know Gilbert from the roasts and from just his persona he's very bombastic and outrageous and loud and funny i love gilbert gottfried and i walked in the green room and i'm like oh hey nice to meet you i'm a big fan and he was the sweetest most demure quiet guy. He's like oh he's like oh thanks a lot i appreciate that and it was just so funny seeing this seeing this uh you know th- this personality coming out of this person who i thought i knew so well to, but obviously only into his public persona, stage persona, if you will. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a really sweet, reserved, nice guy. And I feel like I met him right around the time the Affleck thing was kind of blowing up and oh, they yeah. kind of let him go. I think that was right around what it was. And he was he was almost he was almost like shy and embarrassed about it. He's like, ah, oh, geez, that whole thing. Like, it was just so funny to see this bombastic guy who was just almost uh, shy and sweet. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Gina Grad has been such a good addition to the show. I think she fit in kind of pretty pretty neatly right away i was kind of curious you know i think fans of the adam carolla show really took Allison rosen's departure by heart it, it was kind of a it just it, i think podcast listeners get very attached to the show and the personalities and just as someone behind the scenes what, what did you kind of take away from that and and i mean not so much that it, it could be done differently but i just what was that process like for you because mm-hmm. I mean, you were at the epicenter really hard just you know hearing uh the um so much uh outcry from people who who didn't like the way it was handled or didn't like the decision itself um i understand i i completely identify with them if they if I, it was me and i was a show that i listened to and felt connected to and didn't like a decision that was made or didn't like a way a decision was handled i'd probably be the same way it really reinforced to me um it's something we really lose sight of. I, I can't speak for everyone. I lose sight of it. But it really reinforced and reminded me that like podcasting specifically is so personal and so um, intimate. Like right, like you know, we are in your literally inside your ears for the most part. You know, you're listening to us on earbuds, or you're listening to us in your car, and we're the only person with you, or you're listening to us at the gym, and no one else can hear. You're listening. You know, it feels like you're being let into our lives, and you really are, especially with our show. And I have to imagine most shows that are like ours. We're not doing characters and we're not doing bits and, and, and made up, uh, you know, stories like, you know, we're talking about things that actually happen in our, in our lives, good and bad, uh, tragic and triumphant. And so it, it kind of reminds me like, oh, yeah, like people are invested in, in the reality of all of this, not 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 in the show aspect, you know, not even so much in the comedy. I mean, obviously that's what they come for. But I like to feel the hardcore fans, the people that really love the show, uh, love it. I mean, there's all sorts of funny shows out there. I'm sure there's many shows that are funnier than ours or just as funny. And I think the reason people stick around is because uh, they like us, I have to imagine. Otherwise, go. F- you know, there's plenty of shows out there that are funny. That's right. Uh, you know, I think as fans, I, I kind of always like to kind of take people behind the scenes. When I talk to actors and directors, what's it like on the set? For you and the show, take us behind the scenes of the podcast. What's What might surprise us about the process? Is it the prep work? Is it sort of the... The things that go wrong before the before you hit record. What, what's what's sort of the, uh, the behind the scenes peak at the show that maybe would, uh, would kind of intrigue fans? I think the thing that would surprise 
uh, people the most is the opposite of what you're talking about, which is how little prep goes into it. Um, there, there's plenty of prep that goes into it from uh, the, the production side. You know, Gary, our producer, and Dawson, uh, Mike Dawson, our voice guy, who does a lot of imaging for us. Those guys uh, bust their ass and get a lot of great, you know, uh, audio and intros and uh, research on the guests and uh, all that sort of stuff. So I don't want to I don't want to say that no prep goes into it, but from uh, Adam's perspective uh, and mine, luckily. Uh, fortunately, I should say, um, and uh, Gina is outside of the news, and Gina does a lot of prep for the news, but otherwise, we don't script anything, we don't prep a lot, we don't say, hey, I'm going to talk about this, so you have this point of view ready, like, there's there's not a lot, like, getting a natural reaction on the air is a big a big deal, mm-hmm. and I think we, I think we uh, strive for that, um, we don't do production meetings for the most part. I mean, we do meet about things and talk about things a lot, but uh, there's not a lot of formal prep, at least amongst the entire staff. Um, yeah, and, and how I think you'd be shocked at how little is edited out of the show, how little is um, you know cut for whatever reason. Like it's it's for all intents and purposes live to tape. You know, it's uh, what you hear is is 98.5 percent what happens on the air. Close enough. I know in recent months that Adam's been pretty critical of the media. I think even Dr. Drupinski has been sort of sharp on the subject. I'm kind of curious, given you're, you get a chance to participate in these discussions and you kind of witness how the press reacts to your show as opposed to maybe the reality of it. What, what's Do you feel a little more pessimistic or cynical about the press these days, or what's your perspective? Because I think, I think Adam's pretty vocal about it, but I don't know if you get as much chance to kind of weigh in on that issue. If you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, what, can you give me a specific example or, or uh, like, you know, because it's kind of a nebulous question. I don't have thoughts on the press per se, I guess. Well, I guess it's sort of like, you know, when Adam was said that he thought that women weren't funny, but actually it was much uh, more specific and sort of taking quotes out of context or kind of spinning things that maybe are unfair, uh, like uh-huh. the Gavin Newsom situation. Uh-huh. I don't know if that, I don't know if the press really kind of chronicled that in a very accurate way. That's a good. That's a good point. Both of those are examples. Um, if your listeners know, they, they they may have heard about these things, so they can Google them pretty quickly. But um, both of those things, I think, are examples of um, Adam's greatest strength can be can be uh, a double edged sword at, at times, which is he's unfailingly honest and he'll he'll say what's on his mind and uh, he'll say what he believes and. Neither of the neither of the things that he said in those examples that got turned into sound bites or headlines or or, or clickbait or or attention grabbing headlines were all that controversial. Like you know, if a, if you were to ask me who's funnier, men or women, I'd be like, well, on average, men. But it gets turned. In, I mean, I can see how. I can see how a writer or an editor or someone you know, at a website would be like, "Oh, that's a great headline." Adam Carolla says women are, or men are funnier than women, or women aren't funny, or whatever iteration of that you want, which is really unfortunate because it's it's an interesting, controversial uh, uh, point of view that can be debated. You know, you can turn that into an interesting debate, like who is funnier, men or women, or even or even more interesting, going down that rabbit hole, like why why don't more women go into comedy? That's a legitimate question, and then when no one can question the ethics of that or, or the, the um, 
the what's the, what am I trying to say? No one can question the validity of that question or of that reasoning. You know, this fact is more men going go more men going to comedy than women do. Now that's not controversial. That's just the fact. But the fact that it can get turned into a uh, sort of clickbaity headline like mm-hmm. Adam Carolla says women aren't funny is like well that's not necessarily what he said. I mean it's kind of a stretch. And then you know when it, it gets turned into you know, Adam had an interesting exchange with Gavin Newsom, and he backed Gavin into a corner. He kind of painted him into a corner with Gavin's faulty logic, and his he was trying to make a point. He's like, "Well, why don't why can't uh, um, uh, Mexican immigrants why don't they have bank accounts?" And he's like, and Gavin's like, "Well, they just don't." And Adam's like, "Well, now." Now he sees a sort of a, a faulty point of view, and he's like, well, mm-hmm. why not? What's wrong with them? Are they flawed? And then it gets turned into Adam Carolla says, what's wrong with Mexicans? And he's <laughs> like, well, that's not, that's not really what he said. Like, we can actually have an inter- interesting debate about this and maybe kind of go down this rabbit hole and say, huh, why don't more, like, you know, Mexican immigrants have uh, checking accounts? Is there, is there some barrier? Is there a sociological or economic reason for this? Or do we want to just make a sort of, you know, very uh, attention-grabby headline out of it and, and let it all sort of fall by the wayside? And that's obviously what people, what most people want is just the uh, quick, easy, reactionary headline, which is unfortunate. But uh, the way Adam thinks and talks sometimes gets him into trouble with those attention-grabby headline writers. Yeah. Uh, I think. Part of your job, obviously, is to do the Baldywood uh, film reviews. I'm just kind of curious, looking ahead either to the 20, 2017 summer lineup or just in gen- film in general, are there any trends that maybe you see coming down the pike that maybe we're not aware of? I mean, we know there's going to be sequels and superhero films, but just given sort of your, your, your pop culture background and your sort of your look at films... Anything that's gonna maybe gonna sneak up on us in the next few months? Well, I can't tell you specifically because uh, I, I am about to start my research for the uh, big uh, Film Vault Summer Preview Edition, and I don't have any idea what's coming out in the summer uh, until I start doing my research. I have a I have a six month old baby, so I'm not uh, I'm not quite so up to date on the movies that are months down the road but that said I will say that um, one trend I I, I hoped would happen and it seems like it might be happening is very exciting Um, I've grown weary of a lot of the uh, Marvel uh, superhero movies the tentpole giant Avenger movies where Maybe it's just me, although I hope it's not. I feel like audiences are going a little bit weary of, all right, we're doing this again. This is this is essentially the same movie. There's no stakes. Nothing's happening. This is for children, and we're just going to get together and fight and then all go back to our neutral corners and meet back up for the sequel. And that's really, really frustrating when movie ticket prices are going up and up and up, and the movies are getting longer and longer and longer, and the stakes are getting lower and lower and lower, and... I don't have time for that. I don't think a lot of other people do, too. And then when Deadpool came out, it was like, oh, this is a fun action comic book movie for adults. This is a movie that is, you know, obviously for, you know, it, it's, uh, it can be enjoyed by, you know, mature teens. But this is an R-rated movie that is made for a certain population that had been underserved by these types of movies before. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if Deadpool became such a big hit that it sort of spawned this, oh, now we're going to start making movies for an older uh, crowd, a more mature adult crowd, and these movies are going to evolve like the audiences evolve. 
And then Logan came out a couple months ago, or maybe not even, a month and a half ago or so, and it had a very distinct Deadpool influence. Like, Logan was rated R. It was very mature. It was an X-Men movie for sure, but it definitely had that Deadpool influence where it's like, oh, this movie has super violent uh, scenes and lots of bad words, and this is not for little kids. So it's nice to see movies, kind no pun intended, kind of bleeding in that direction because um, it felt like we were just doing a lot of treading water. It was getting very tedious. So I hope there's more of that. Gotcha. I agree. Um, you know, obviously you've shared a lot about your personal life with your battle with a brain tumor and with Shrinkage, your book. Now you're a dad and you've got this really great, successful show. I was kind of curious, do you, do you have sort of fresh ambitions as a broadcaster? Do you see yourself doing different things? I mean, what, what, what's on your agenda sort of down the road at this point? Well, so my agenda now is to pick up my daughter from daycare in about uh, 45 minutes. Um, there's always uh, ideas and there's always irons in the fire, and I'm always really excited to announce it when it does happen. Um, but as for now, it's uh, – yeah, there's nothing – I wish there was more to announce, but, uh, you know, just plugging away. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a job that I like. I feel like I'm good at it. Um, it's, it's a fun job. I look forward to going to it every day, that being the Adam Carolla show. And uh, as well as a show like The Film Vault, which is a movie show that I host, and I, I really uh, am very proud of that. Um, so I, I have a lot to keep me um, occupied and always always other, other stuff on the uh, – other goals, I should say, on the horizon. Gotcha. And I'll just give you a tip as a fellow dad. Barney is your friend. You may hate that purple dinosaur, but in a few months when your kitty's dancing along to Barney, you'll, you'll enjoy it more than you expect, let me tell you. Yeah, as long as as long as it's something she genuinely enjoys, I don't want it. I don't. I don't. I don't want it to be something like, oh no, trust me, she'll love the Wiggles. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to force that upon her. Part part of the process. Before I let you go, uh, Brian, I wanted to ask you, and we ask all of our guests at Hollywood and Toto, what are you listening to now? What are you checking out on uh, Netflix or maybe even books on your bookshelf that you uh, want to share with uh, listeners? And I, I always love to get good tips from people in the industry because uh, sometimes they kind of check out things that maybe we're not aware of. Um, I, let's see. I don't actually watch a lot of TV. I, I watch mostly movies. I don't binge. Um, you would be shocked at the number of TV shows I haven't ever seen. I've never seen an episode of Breaking Bad. Uh, I've never seen an episode of The Wire. Um, I understand these are great shows. I have nothing against them. Never seen a Game of Thrones. I have no interest. Um, I, I, I'm sure these are fantastic shows. I've never seen a Better Call Saul. Um, and it's not uh, it's not anything against these shows. I'm sure they're fantastic, but I uh, love movies so much, and I would like to be considered um, or not even considered. I would just like to be educated on movies. And when uh, you know people, uh, you know, I have uh, friends in my life and just people all the time on Twitter who are like, "Hey, have you seen this? What do you think? I'm thinking about going to see this or this this weekend." I like to have an opinion. I like to be able to help. I don't want to be like, "Oh, sorry, I'm trying to catch up on Better Call Saul." <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's not my that's not my area of expertise. I'm not helping anybody that way. So uh, let's see. I recently watched. Speaking of binging, now I'm going to go back on what I even said. I recently watched the entire O.J. Simpson documentary that won yeah. the uh, the Oscar. Mm -hmm. um, have you talked about that on your show? No, I've watched it. It's a, it's amazing though. So it's it's a, it's a, it really to the time. is fantastic. It's seven and a half hours. So if uh, you're a listener of this show right now and you're like, I love binge watching hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Well, great news. There's a documentary out there that won the Oscar this year for best documentary, um, The People versus o Wait. Was it? No, it has been made in America. That's right. And it was, uh, it's engrossing. It's really well done. Um, I went into it thinking, oh, I know all I need to know about OJ. I don't need more OJ in my life. And turns out I was wrong. It was pretty fantastic and pretty engrossing. So uh, stream 
the entire O.J. Simpson documentary, seven and a half hours, seven hours forty-seven minutes, for that matter. You won't you won't be disappointed. Yeah, I was the same way. I felt I felt burned out from O.J. watching from the '90s, and I I felt I was kind of reborn in that way. It's a great documentary. But uh, well, Brian, thank it you is. so much for taking the time to talk to us. I know you got a pretty full plate being a dad and being part of a couple of pretty big podcasts. We appreciate your work. We will have the information on the show notes page at hollywoodandtoto.com so people can kind of check out all the things you're a part of if you're not already a regular listener of the Adam Carolla Show. And uh, again, good luck with all the best and so glad to hear that your health has improved and that's it's just great news. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Fiera is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.